Good morning. I don't take it lightly um, when I hear those words. It's the most important story ever told. Um, what an honor uh, to stand before you and open the word. My name is Joe. I get to be one of the pastors here at Pleasant Valley. Uh, thank you for being here. If you're joining us online, uh, thank you uh, so much uh, for doing that. I, um, hmm. It is so good to see your face. So good to see your smile, right? Isn't it just, we, we've missed that. And I, I, I think sometimes we don't understand the power that God has given to a face. You know, the most popular of all or the most famous of all benedictions in the Bible is found in Judges and it's found in Jude in the New Testament then that talks about how God's face shines upon you and he keeps you. And so the idea in, in the uh, Hebrew mindset of a face is the face represents presence. And in the case of that benediction, it is God's face that is delighted to see you, delighted to see you. His face shines upon you because he knows what the human soul needs more than anything else. And that is through the nonverbals to know how absolutely valuable you are. Every person that we ever meet. And so it's so good to see your face. This morning, I have the great privilege of opening up this text in Luke chapter 13 um, with you. In Luke chapter 13, we're going to read verses 10 through 17. Uh, then I'm going to talk a little bit about the, actually, what goes before that passage and after that passage. There's actually a parable that goes before it, moving into the narrative that we're going to look at. And then there is a kingdom principle that ends it. The the parable and the principle use the same analogy or the same example. It's the example of a tree. And so the narrative is supposed to explain to us, fill in some of the gaps of what the parable introduces and what the principle brings home using the same illustration as a tree. And so let's look at the scripture, Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? 
And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that um, you see us. Father, thank you that you know those points in our life, those areas of our, in our life that we have kind of a, a persistent despair and maybe even hopelessness, Lord. And thank you that you have not left us alone to our own strength or to, to trying to figure out life on our own. You are the light of the world and you've come and you've given us light. But you didn't stop at light. You became one of us and you took on our pain and you took on our punishment and you died and you rose again for us, Lord, revealing to us that God Almighty wants a relationship with his creation, especially his creation in a human being. And so thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the one that teaches this morning, Lord, so that our faith does not rest on the persuasion of a human being, but on the power of God. It's in your name that we're together under your word. Amen. And so the text starts out this way. And he was teaching. And it sounds simple enough. Let's think about it for a minute. Um, and I did get beyond this in the first service. <laughs> um, but I don't want us to miss a a significant principle. It says, he was teaching. Uh, he is teaching the word in a synagogue. He is the word of God himself. The logos of God, the logic of God, the very person of God. He was teaching. The one who spoke into existence, you, and everything that we see. He was teaching in the synagogue. The one who has the word and the power of emancipation for a human being, he was teaching. The way, the truth, and the life, the vine, the resurrection and the life, he was teaching. He was teaching. And it was just in one of the synagogues, but the significant thing was he was teaching. And I don't want us to miss that. Can you tell? There's nothing like him. The hope of the world is not in the church. Aren't you glad? The hope of the world is not in Pleasant Valley. And don't we know it? The hope of the world is not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the other 66 books altogether. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is in Jesus. And he was teaching. It's not very important in comparison 
what you might say or what I might say. Would you agree? He was teaching. It's just in one of the synagogues. The next verse, verse 11. And behold. And so when we see in the scripture the phrase behold, it just is simply inviting the reader to pay very close attention. It's kind of to be announced loudly. Behold. He was teaching and then, behold, something of great significance was in the room. It was a person with a disability. And the human race says, thank you, God, that you see me. You have a disability? The answer to that question is yes. You do. You are dead in your trespasses and your sins apart from the life of God. You have disabilities, spiritually driven disabilities. And so the text, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years, she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Shouldn't we be focused on his teaching? The text doesn't say that. Everybody, look at this woman. Behold her. When I was six and seven years old, um, I struggled greatly in school to the point where I would hide myself in the bathroom hoping nobody would find me every morning. And <clears throat> so I would, as soon as mom would say, the bus is here, I would go in the bathroom and pretend to be sick. And so my mom, who is so much smarter than me, told me the bus then from those days after was here 20 more minutes before it was here. <laughs> and staying in the bathroom was, it just took too long. <laughs> Thinking the bus had already come and gone, I would come out and find out, well, the bus was just not arriving. <laughs> what my mom didn't know is that I had a reading disability that scared me to death to be embarrassed in front of the other students. I couldn't read well at all. And so my mom, she found a woman by the name of Mrs. Marino, who was a retired school teacher, and mom would take me over to Mrs. Marino's house. And Mrs. Marino had beautiful eyes. They were brown. And her face was kind of round. And when I saw her looking at me, something happened in me. And she would take her time with me. And she would invest in me. 
She would listen to me. And she helped me learn at least a little bit how to read. I struggled throughout school. There were 536 people in my graduating class, and I was number 275, right in the middle. And I thought, awesome. <laughs> I did. I'm not the last one. And I don't know how it happened by some miracle I was allowed to go to university. And I didn't even know there was such a thing as academic probation until my first year. Certainly didn't read it. <laughs> and I was on academic probation. That's the same year in 1976 that the Lord saw me and called me to himself. And I began a relationship with Christ. Fast forward, my freshman year academic probation, my senior year I was on the dean's list. Took a year off and some amazing thing happened and I was allowed introduction into a seminary for a Masters of Divinity program. Scared to death. And in that three years in quite a steep incline in terms of reading and learning, I was on the academic good side. Three years with honors in a master's program from a guy that still struggles with reading. Right? So... Behold, the most important person perhaps in the room is you with your fear and despair and hopelessness and disability. And we all have them. We all have them. And so behold, there was a woman who had, a dis who had, had a disabling spirit for 18 years years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Behold her. I hope you hear him saying to your heart this morning, behold him. Behold her. Look at them. Do you see what the next verse says? When Jesus saw her. <clears throat> Joe, when I read the Bible, I just kind of read that and then just go on to the next thing. What is wrong with you? Oh, there's a lot wrong with me, but we don't have time. <laughs> what is right with me is I know that my Redeemer has seen me. He knows me. He knows my disabilities. <clears throat> he saw her. Don't miss it. His face is shining upon you. His grace is on you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to meet you right at your disability. 
give you the strength. And we know that we serve a God who can move mountains. We also know that we serve a God that if he chooses not to move the mountain, he gives us strength to carry the dang mountain. Right? Come on. And all of us have mountains. Let's not act like we don't. He saw her. Behold her. Would you all behold her? That's what he's saying to the synagogue. It says that he saw her. When Jesus saw her, he not only saw her, he said he called her. God wants to be near you. He doesn't want to keep you away. He doesn't want you to be afraid of him like he's going to take you out. He's going to fill you up and make you the person that he wants you to be. He called her. He not only saw her, he called her. And then he not only did that, he said some things to her. He met her at her disability. Oh, this, these are the things we try to hide, don't we? But Paul says, look, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your strength. Is that what it says? No, in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might dwell in me. Come on. Could we become a church family that it's normative for a person to say, look, I can't do that very well. I struggle with that. I'm stuck in this. Do you want to be a part of that? I can answer that for you right away. Yes. And you have a way forward because of what we learn from watching Jesus. He saw people. Do you see people? And he has a very high call, a very high standard of discipleship for us. That the standard of Christianity is love your people that are really kind to you. Right? That's not what the scriptures teach us. The high call of God on your life is to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Say what? Yeah. You see, because everything has been taken care of, Joe McConkie, in Jesus Christ, I don't have to worry about myself anymore. I can set that aside and I can open my, up my eyes and I can actually see other human beings with the, with the eyes and the perspective of a God who sees me and calls me to himself and speaks to me his words of confidence, his words of conviction for sure, but his words of great hope, right? Do you see people? You see, this text is flanked with a parable about an unfruitful fig tree. You remember it? If not, you can look at it. I'm not going to read it in this service. i got too many other things on my mind. So it's a story, a parable about a fig tree, okay? It's flanked at the end by, a pr by principles using the same metaphor as a tree. So what the reader needs to do, what the student of the scripture does, is we need to pay very close attention through the lens of the parable and the principle to understand the narrative. Okay? So it's important. 
the, the parable about the fig tree that did not produce, what, what Jesus says in that parable is, well, here's what you do. Let's take some time. Let's take some cultivation of the ground around that tree and let's throw some manure or some fertilizer on it. And then it will grow or bear fruit. Otherwise, we'll cut it down in a year from now. And so what does repentance look like? What does, what does growth in Jesus Christ looks like, look like? How does it happen? How does a person grow? We grow by the grace of God coming to our life and cultivating around us, softening himself by his grace and his kindness, right? And then he comes along with his word, the truth, and he puts that fertilizer in the mix with that, with that grace, with that cultivation, and then it gives us time because love is patient. And aren't you glad? Can I have an amen in the, in the room? I mean, it's a little heavy right now. All right, you with me? Yes. You know I'll start the whole dang thing over, right, Jen Gillick? I saw you back there. All right. Grace plus truth plus time equals growth equals fruit. That's what the flanking parable and principle are going to get after in the narrative. So Jesus, he's teaching. We've, we've, we've gone there, right? He's teaching in the synagogue. Uh, he says, behold this woman. I want everybody to look at her. She's got a disability. Everybody knows it. I want us... Uh, to also know that I see her, that I call her to myself, and that I'm going to speak to her words of emancipation. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. <clears throat> but why doesn't God co completely remove my disability? I still struggle like I have to read a text like this so many times not to understand it. God has given me a great memory, but I can't read very well. And so it always scares me to stand before you even 35 years into this career and have to read a text. Why doesn't he take that away? Because he wants to use it to, to, to show his glory and his majesty and his goodness to us in the midst of our brokenness. That way the spirit of God gets to show off Jesus, the son of God. Right? It's not because of what I can do and all the work I've done. No, I do it because I get to do it. I get to be part of his family. and I'm the su most surprised of everybody that I get to stand in front of you, quite frankly. But this is who God is. He saw me. He called me to himself. He said things to me. He emancipated me from being under my disability to a point of being a launching pad for the glory of God in my life. Verse 13, and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Oh my goodness. How many thousands of times in Joe McConkie's journals over the last 45 years have I said, thank you, Jesus. 
I praise and I glorify your name. You've allowed me to do some crazy things as a person that really is scared to death because I can't read. I'm afraid I'm going to be embarrassed every day of my life. But God, you strengthen me. I worship you. God has straightened me up. He's given me confidence in, in my countenance. That has not come from me. I guarantee you. This is gross, but I still get diarrhea every time I preach. <laughs> now it's real in the room, huh? What? Are we going to fellowship now? Huh? Yeah, okay. I, it's going to be a hard topic, but that's one you're going to talk about at lunch. <laughs> Little gross, but oh my goodness. Hey, how desperately important it is that we can laugh in a fallen world. And the only way that a human being can laugh in a fallen world is because we have a Lord and Savior who sees us. And he moves towards us and he calls us to himself and he speaks words of emancipation to us. He means it and he's proven it by his behavior. He doesn't just say it, he went to the cross to prove it. And he rose again to prove it. I am for you. Who can be against you, Joe? One of my favorite of all New Testament promises in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue. Oh, those ch church police officers. He's looking for someone doing something wrong. Now, I'm not talking about y'all. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant. Translation, who in the H-E double hockey sticks does Jesus think he is? Uh, you, you, anybody having trouble spelling? I can relate with you. Some of you are catching up with me. That's awesome. Others, I don't know what's for lunch, but yeah, have fun. Um, who does Jesus think he is? What's your answer? He is my king. He is the ruler over all dominion, over all disabling spirits that would want to come against me and take me out of the game. He fills my life with incredible hope. He gives me what I need for the assignments that he's given to me. He allows me not to focus on my disabilities and to focus on him instead. That, by the way, is a, a learned practice. You don't just say it and it happens. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, what an idiot Jesus is, right? Said to the people, do you see this in the text? The ruler of the synagogue does not give eye contact to Jesus Christ. <laughs> it says, he said to the people, mm. 
The, enemy, the enemies of, the, of God know. They know. The time is ticking. It's short. It's limited. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine what it was like in the room? Just think about it for a minute. They beheld this woman with this this disabling spirit be actually emancipated in their vision. Right? Okay, before you get too haughty about how much better we are than the ruler of the synagogue, what happens in your psyche when things don't go the way you think they should go in our church? disagree with me. Thank you, Jesus. They're going to do some crazy stuff. Awesome. I hate it, but that's awesome. Huh? Who do they think they are? Right? And it goes beyond PV, our culture, right? Who do they think they are? Telling us what to do, what not to do. We're Americans. You, you do know that we're Christians first, right? Jesus trumps. <laughs> Jesus overcomes <laughs> any other principle that wants to have its way in my life. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. He sees me. He has called me to himself. He speaks to me. The only authoritative word in Joe McConkie's life. And he's inviting you into that same spirit. Jesus, in verse 15, says, he looked in the eye of the synagogue ruler, didn't he? Who does Jesus speak to? Then the Lord answered, not the people in the room, him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? I mean, and that's just logic. We haven't even got to the point yet. And ought, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, not a Gentile woman, a daughter of the God that you worship in the synagogue this morning, isn't it strange that a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, is not unloosed, even though she's been here every weekend for the last 18 years in your synagogue. God has a word for you this morning of emancipation from whatever that disability is that you have. 
And he will either remove that mountain or he'll give you the strength to carry it. And the vast majority of the time, he will give you the strength to carry it because it brings great honor and glory to his name. When someone who oughtn't to be a certain way is a certain way, that brings attention to a power greater than that person. That brings attention to Jesus Christ, right? Shouldn't she be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Have you allowed him to come and do those glorious things in your life? Particularly in those areas where you do not want to face your struggles? Have you invited him into the middle of that? He sees you. He sees your struggle. He sees your disabilities. He sees your infirmities. He sees those things that are, are wanting to take rulership over your life. And he wants you to know that he sees you and he's calling you. And so that's really what the narrative's about. The parable is about a fruitless tree. The principle is about when the kingdom of God moves into the heart of a person, that person not only becomes a tree, that person becomes a place where other people can take safe harbor in their life. Do you see the, par- do you see the principle in verse 18? Jesus says this, how should I give a good example of what the kingdom of God is like? Well, I'll use, I'll use a seed a tree seed. We use a mustard tree seed. And it was planted and it grew up. This is what the kingdom of God is like. When, when God comes and moves into the middle of our, our lives, including our disabilities, when he becomes the, the main and the real and the only thing that really matters in our life, when that happens in a person, not only is this person alive, This person is so fruitful that other human beings can take safe harbor in their presence. They can build their homes in the branches of your life. This is kingdom-sized stuff. I'm still amazed that someone comes and calls me for biblical counseling. I'm so thankful for Jesus for the power of the gospel message. It's the only thing that will change a human being's life. My hope is in him. And so God wants to move into the center of your life and he wants to mature you as a human being, not only spiritually so that you understand all of the logistics and all the logic and all the theology in the scriptures, that, that, that is so anemic in the real world. He wants you to mature into his likeness emotionally. He wants you to be the most secure person in your circle. He wants you to be so convinced that his face is shining upon you, that he's keeping you, that he loves you, that you're so, because of that, you're so secure in who you are, including your liabilities and and. and including your disabilities. 
He wants you to be the most secure person so that you don't have to think about yourself all the time. And you're emotionally growing in your maturity because you're so secure in Jesus Christ. And then he wants us to grow also relationally. That we actually follow his lead and begin seeing people. And we begin doing what neuroscience is now catching up to theology and recognizing how powerful nonverbals are, especially with someone that doesn't know if we can be trusted yet. That when they see your face, do they see that you are glad to be with them? And you're glad to be with them, not because you just kind of crank your own strength up. You're glad to be with them because Christ is so present, so present in your life that it does, nothing else really matters except beholding you right now. Truly validating you as a human being by looking in your eyes and with your eyes telling this person, I am so glad that I get to be with you right now. See the power in that? The neuroscience is catching up with the, with the theology on this. It's a whole stream of, of, read, of, of writing right now in the area of neurotheology. If you want a, kind of an introductory book, it's called The Other Half of Church. Incredible things that neuroscience is catching up with biblical realities. We need to know it, though, because we're too often still counting on ourselves instead of our ability given by God in our own life to make a difference in somebody else's life just by learning how to smile from our gut at them. First 101 lesson of discipleship for a parent or for someone working with a teenager is smile, for goodness sakes. You want to see your teenage actually have a teenager actually have a maybe a possibility of maybe listening to you just a little bit, and wouldn't that be a miracle, huh? Come on. Start with your own resolve in your own life about how grateful you are that you get to be this, I almost used a swear word, teenager's parent. It would have been a Christian swear word. Don't worry, anybody. We've been all sanctified up. Right? It's hard to be a parent of a teenager. It's hard to be your teenager. That is not nice, Joe. Well, it's, it's true, though. Try smiling. Smiling actually comes from Jesus Christ. When he's on board, nothing else matters to Joe McConkie. When I have set him aside, I'm all worried about the mirror, how I'm looking. Jesus Christ wants to move right in the middle of whatever you think is impossible in your life this morning. And he wants to take that over and he wants to actually use it to leverage his glory for the people that see you. This is kingdom living, that's the principle. He doesn't want you to be fruitless. He gives you grace abundantly. He gives you truth abundantly. And he gives you great patience. Love is patient. And you have that from him. He sees you. He understands 
the pain. And Henderson, you know, you know I've, I've told you just one little bit of my disabilities. We just don't have time, okay, for all the other stuff that just tear me up about some things. Why can't I do this? Why can't I be this? Right? Anybody else do that? The Lord's moving into the middle of things for me over and over and all over again sometimes. He wants to do that for you. I think that's what this text is about this morning. Daniel, if you'll come on up, that'd be awesome with your, with your team. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for who knew you would be honest to your word. You, you love us right where we're at. You come to us and you behold us. You see us, God. And you still keep looking at us, even though you know. And then not only that, you, you call us into a personal relationship with you that's based on grace and truth and time and patience and great hope from you to us about what you want to do in us and through us, God. Lord, you, you want to you mature us emotionally and relationally to the point, Father, where we're effective when we look into the eyes of another human being and see them like you see them them to be with us like you call us would, would you do this work in our lives individually would you do this work in Pleasant Valley Church God would you do this work in families maybe a mom or a dad's heart this morning that just is just tired it's about grace it's about truth it's about patience first getting it from you God letting you move right into the center of our disabilities, our frustrations, the things that drive us crazy and have you begin doing your miraculous work, Lord, of liberating us from that power and submitting and giving to us your power. So have your way in us, Lord, even as we sing this song, by your spirit, would you move right into the middle of whatever struggle we're willing to admit today? Would you change us, God? We love you so much. We're so grateful for you, God. It's in your name that we gather. Amen.